Uh, good morning. Feels like it's been a long time since I've been up here. Look out and I see Brother Andy. God bless you, brother. Good to have you back. You know, uh, Brother Mitch always has the ability to pick out the right song for the service. I don't know if that, uh, if you ever think much about it, I do. I know that the choir does, but, uh, you know, that was the right song in the fact that that was a great testimony song of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God calls us to have a testimony. And uh, our testimonies sometimes um, aren't always pretty. <laughs> sometimes they get beat up by the world. You know, um, I was thinking about how in the book of Acts, um, the early disciples were, they were sent all over. But you know what? Some of them weren't. Some of them were just told to stay right there at Jerusalem. And I thought about that with our family as uh, I was brought to this church, saved in this church. And uh, God didn't move us from this church. He kept us right here, this being our Jerusalem. And for the 30-plus years that we've been here, we've seen people come and go. And some the Lord brought in, and he called out to serve in other places. Some he brought in, they went out and came back. Um, some he's called home. And yet even some he is calling to come to this ministry, and they don't even know it yet. They don't even know it yet. But in the eyes of God, he is calling those that will come and prayerfully accept the Lord Jesus Christ as this ministry continues. So my family met Brother Sam and his family back in the, the I guess it was probably the mid-90s. And uh, they came to our church for a period of time, and, and we got to fellowship together. And, and just as life kind of seems to go on, sometimes people kind of just, you lose touch with them and lost touch with them for quite a few years. Uh, I knew of their family through a mutual friend we have, Tom Williams, uh, that worked uh, for me, that uh, uh, they share a granddaughter. And so uh, it was just a little bit ago that uh, Sam came back to the church. And it had been a while uh, that at first I didn't even make the connection at first. Uh, he did, uh, <laughs> prayerfully, thankfully, brother. Uh, but I didn't, and then Macaulay and I were talking, and he said, well, Sam, you remember Sam? And then he started to fill in some details, and I remembered. You know, and part of the problem about getting old is you think everything happens like a couple years ago, and it's like, you know, 10 years or 15 years, and, and you think it's maybe but, but a few. But I'm so thankful that, that the Lord called Brother Sam and his family back to this ministry. Um, that God never quits working. And Brother Sam's going to share his testimony. So come on up, brother. It's good to have you here. It's been a while since I've been standing in this position, too. And I want to thank Macaulay for giving me the opportunity to share my testimony. And I was have seen Ron running over the last 20 years and every time I saw him I thought 
man, I remember that guy. I remember that little church. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm very grateful to be back. I'm very grateful to be in this fellowship. Thank you. I was born again in 1983. Um, I was raised in a small church just like this one. Very tight fellowship. My mother and dad were very strong Christian influence in my life. But as happens, as I reached my teenage years, I went into a serious rebellion. I never turned my back on the Lord in the sense that I didn't believe and I didn't believe what I knew from the word. But the fun of sin just got a hold of me. And you know that the Bible says that it lasts for a season. Well, my season lasted 15 years. And as time went on, I realized that all that while the Holy Spirit was pursuing me, nagging me, calling me, yet I would stand off and I was convinced that I was beyond help, that there was no hope for me, that I'd gone too far, I was too sinful. And I have to tell you that the blood of Jesus covers my sin today. In 1983, I'm not going to go too far back, and I'm not going to give all the details of my sordid past, but in 1983, I was at the end of my rope. I was miserable. I knew that I was lost. I knew that if I died, I was not going to go to heaven. And slowly but surely, I got back into the Word and I started going to church, and I started doing all the churchy things that people do when they try to clean themselves up. Those are fig leaves. Those were just fig leaves, trying to cover my shame through works, through doing things that I thought were religious. And it was about the time of my daughter Sarah's birth that I really began to understand just what in a bad situation I was in. And I don't remember what network it was, but they ran a miniseries called Jesus of Nazareth. And I was at home alone on Easter weekend, and I watched Friday night by myself. And that laid the foundation, and something started happening. I started remembering all those verses that I was taught as a child and all those principles that I saw lived out in my family. And so my interest was piqued, I guess would be the way to put it. And then on Saturday night was the passion. And when I saw what Jesus went through for me, I completely identified. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when he went to that cross, he was taking my place for my sin. And I prayed right there in the living room floor with my face in the ground and received Christ. 
and I was born again. Now, I didn't really know what to do about that at the moment, but I knew the next morning was Easter Sunday morning and I was going to church. I have not, had not darkened the door of a church since I was probably 14. Now, I want to say that during that time of my lost wilderness time, there were many, many times when I was in conversations with people and we would bring up God and we'd bring up Jesus and salvation. And man, I knew all the facts. I knew them in my head, but I didn't know them in my heart, but I knew them in my head. And so you could say that I started preaching somehow. I mean, if the Lord can use a donkey, he could use a lost sinner like me, right? So, but that, that only served to convict me even deeper of my need because it wasn't real. And all these times that I made these false starts, all these times, I really didn't want to be changed. I just wanted that fire insurance because I didn't want to go to hell. And I was just looking for a way out. Well, in 1983, like I said, I was at the end of my rope and accepted the Lord on that Saturday night. And then Sunday morning, I went to First Baptist Church here in Friendswood because I was raised Baptist. And I sat and just wept all the way through the service. I had my oldest son, Thomas, with me. And he was, uh, let's see, he was about seven and, uh, our, yeah, that's about right. He was about seven. And I was sitting next to some really nice people, and they knew something was up, obviously, because I just couldn't stop weeping. And when the invitation was given, um, I just jumped out of the pew and went forward and took Brother Fry by the hand. And I remember all I could say was, I'm just tired of running. I'm tired. And so that was my public profession of faith. And immediately when they had the people come up and shake hands with you and say hello and welcome you and all that, a guy named Mike Hammett was a deacon. And I was pretty rough looking. I had long hair and I'd just come out of the oil field and, you know, not your typical churchgoer at the time. And Mike was kind of the same way. He was a rough cut guy and he came walking up to me, and he shook my hand, and the first words out of his mouth is, I want to disciple you. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but what is it? And he said, I'm going to take you through just the basics for however long it takes to get you grounded. And I thank God for that, because my camet was used by the Lord to firmly root me in the word to understand that our salvation is through grace, and it is not through our works. It is by the grace of God. Two years he poured into my life. Once a week we met, and we just went through the word. Well, it wasn't maybe a year and a half, two years later, that I believed I was being called into the ministry to preach, and I was fired up. I was just full of fire and ended up going to college and uh, put a couple of years into a ministerial degree and preached all over northeast Arkansas where I went to school in little churches just like this, supply preaching, and was involved in a great fellowship 
uh, of young believers. I was the old man in the group. They were all 19, 18, you know, and I was like 30. So um, that time was really a time of growth, and I was walking with the Spirit, and we just saw miraculous things happening through this small church and ended up coming back to Houston after I graduated, and I got a teaching degree because no one was calling me to preach or pastor. Not preaching and pastoring are two different things. So we came back to Houston, and um, I got back into a fellowship and stayed on track with the Lord for a long time. And then I went through a divorce. And when I went through that divorce, it soured my understanding of what my responsibilities were as a leader, a pastor, a preacher. Pretty much thought that was over with for me. And I think that is the beginning of when I started to slip. Ron can tell you, I think it's 27% of all accidents in the plants are related to slips, trips, and falls. Well, I started slipping. And there's a fine line between understanding the freedom that we have in Christ not to be judged for some things that are debatable. And, but the problem was, and I didn't even see it coming, I let that freedom condemn me because I began to drink and I began to drink more and more and more and I didn't even notice it. As time went on, I met my wife and we fell in love and we were married and she was a godly woman, and I wanted to have a godly family, and I wanted to live in a godly way. And we have been together now for 26 years, and that's a blessing to me that the Lord has given me. He restored me to this right relationship. And we had a house full of kids. We had five kids between us. And uh, we all kind of grew together. Well, I mentioned my daughter, Sarah, and this is a pretty important part. My daughter, Sarah, actually came to this church with me and my youngest son, Joe. And uh, Sarah was uh, born again and saved in this church and baptized by Rick, I believe. And... About that time, I had been teaching for about 10 years, and um, I had tried to get in to work with Shell for about five years, because you got all those kids, you got to pay for a lot of stuff, <laughs> and teacher's salary just doesn't cut it. So um, a friend of mine uh, managed to get me an interview, and they hired me, and I took the job at Shell. Well, Sarah was born with some birth defects, and she had a thing called um, sacral agenesis, which means the bottom of her spine didn't grow. It's a form of spina bifida. And so she didn't have the nerves that you and I have that supply our lower extremities. And so she had a lot of 
issues as a kid growing up. Very tough little girl. She was taken apart and put back together several times. I won't go into detail, but I'm telling you, they dissected her and put her back together twice. And the last surgery that she had was in the second grade. And this whole thing was set up so that by the time she was 18, she could have a kidney transplant because she'd already lost one kidney. Well, I don't know if you can relate to this. Maybe you can when you know someone that you love is severely ill and that their prognosis is not for a long life. It's a heavy weight to carry. And uh, I, not premonitions, but I had an understanding that I was probably going to outlive her. And so we just enjoyed our time that we had. And she flourished. Um, You would never know that there was anything wrong with her for the longest time. But if the time came, she graduated, and she was supposed to have this kidney transplant, and she had it. And she had one year of perfect health. And she was the one in a million kids whose body will not accept the anti-rejection drugs. And it was actually the anti-rejection drugs that began to tear her body down. She ended up going on dialysis um, about two years, and she, about uh, maybe uh, six months before she passed away, she started going to all of our family and living with them for like a month, and I knew what was up. She was saying goodbye. So I don't want to belabor this, but the thing that, has, that turned me, the thing that drove me from a slip and a trip to a fall was her death. I couldn't handle it. I didn't know how to grieve it, and I didn't grieve it. At the same time, I was working a shift called the DuPont schedule. If any of you are familiar with that, you know what it's like. It's nights and days, 12-hour shifts, nonstop. It's a very toxic atmosphere in those plants. So when Sarah passed, instead of grieving, instead of going to the Lord, instead of searching to find comfort, although I knew it was there, I was too proud, too hurt, maybe, Um, angry, all those things they say that you go through to seek the Lord. And so for the last 20 years, I stayed in an alcoholic stupor, literally. I drank every day. I drank at 4.30 in the morning when I got home. I drank at 4.30 in the evening when I got home if I was on daylights. And I drank until I was able to go to sleep. That, to me, if I were listening to this, I would think, how in the world are you standing here today? I mean, I just was on a, had a death wish, I guess. I don't know what it was. I just was blind to what I was doing to myself. After 20 years of that, 
the Lord brought a person into my life at work. And he was an annoying Christian. You know what I mean? I had this like, what? He's up, man. People are just people. Can't you, don't you get it? You have to live in this world. This young kid was walking it, and he was talking it, but he was walking it, and he didn't change for anyone. And although he annoyed me, the Lord started using his testimony to wake me up. Now, I want to say that during this whole time, I never abandoned the word. I spent a lot of time reading the word. I spent a lot of time repenting. I spent a lot of time with false starts over and over and over. I'd clean up, I'd fall out, I'd clean up, I'd fall out. Why is that? I think it is because we get to a point in our grief and we get to a point in our looking for other things to fill us up that we lose sight of the simplicity of the gospel. That if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Case closed. Stop dragging it up. Well, I kept dragging it up. Kept bringing it up. Just beat myself up over and over and over for it. Well, 21 years of alcohol abuse is the lie where you think that drinking alcohol makes you feel better. When in reality... It's a depressant. And so I also started just going into these deep, dark depressions. And a really rotten attitude. Angry all the time. Lashing out at people. Even at home, especially at work. And I got this known for having a short fuse. Not even a fuse, more like a button. And... In January, well, it really started before January, and I did bring my Kleenex up here somewhere because I'm going to start tearing up. <laughs> in January, I got it. Thank you. I got it. Well, I might need more. You never know. <laughs> in, in around January, I had an incident at work, and... It wasn't a terrible incident, but I had been bickering and warring with my boss because I wasn't going to be subject to him. Man, I can just see the, the influence of the accuser all over that. I'm just not going to do what you tell me. I have 20 years of experience. I had an incident at work, and I goofed up pretty majorly. And I literally shut down at work. You can't do that as an operator. I had completely just caved in. I was done with it, done with the life that I was living, the life I thought I was living. And... uh, I came home, and Shreve will tell you I was a wreck. 
just a wreck, an emotionally torn down man. And I called off. I told, I'm fortunate to have this opportunity where I work. I called off. I told these people I have got an alcohol problem and I've got issues that I need to get settled and I can't do it working this shift. And they graciously gave me the time off. So on January 9th, I took my last drink. On January 11th, I called off. In between the 9th and the 11th, I spent most of my time in a room just confessing and repenting and praying and seeking the Lord to not only forgive me, but to help me understand what was missing in my walk because I have all the knowledge up here to know what it means to walk with the Lord, but it just wasn't fresh in my heart anymore. My heart had become calloused. And so this journey began. And I spent probably four or five days in serious withdrawals. I had no idea I was that bad off. No idea. Uh, the VA gave me some medication to help me get through that, and I took that for a pretty good while. And I got on some antidepressants. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm going to tell you, the Lord used those antidepressants to pull me out of the place I was at. I was desperate. But I spent these last five months... Um, in repentance. And so I come to you today. Um, I started coming here, I think, right away, pretty soon. I did do some church hopping um, because I wanted to be where I thought the Lord wanted me to be. I even attended three services on one Sunday morning. But I didn't come back here. I don't know why, but at the very last moment, I guess, I thought about Macaulay. I'd run into him at the ballpark, and I remembered that I'd been here and that I had a good fellowship here, so I came back, and Macaulay and I built a relationship, and bless his heart, he's met with me about once a week, every week now since then, and like he said, we just sit there, and once we get talking, we could stay there for hours and hours. We're very in tune with each other about the way we see the world and the way we see the role of the church. But I want to encourage you to understand that when Sarah passed away, it nearly destroyed my family. My children all went through a bitter time. There was some major drug addiction that happened. My two sons both went off into serious drug addiction and everything you can think of, all of the catastrophe that surrounds that type of living befell these two guys. And that was one of the things that was eaten at me was I felt 
and knew, I shouldn't say feel, I knew that my testimony was pretty much worthless, that I had pretty much lost any influence that I had ever had with my family and with the people that I worked with. Now, maybe you're not in this situation, but maybe you know someone who's in this situation. Maybe someone in your family is in this situation. I can ask you this, never stop praying for them. My eldest son, Thomas, was a heroin addict, a junkie, a needle-using junkie. And he started going to the different AA groups and, you know, all of the NAs and all that stuff. And there was something about what was being said that made him realize, wait a minute, higher power I know who my higher power is. It's not something I make up. He had been brought up to know that Jesus is Lord. And he was saved eight years ago. That young man was miraculously saved and delivered from heroin. Delivered. I mean... You can look at people's lives and you can say, there's just no hope. I never knew if we were going to get a phone call that he was either dead from an overdose or in prison or that he had been murdered or that he had actually murdered someone. Just, it was terrible to live like that. But the Lord intervened. And... I can't take any credit for it other than the prayers that I put out, other than the prayers that I know Cherie put out, and our family and other believers that knew of the situation prayed for him and prayed for him, and they didn't give up. So I'm asking you, please don't give up on these kids of yours and on these friends and family members because like that song said, God is working He's always working. He was working on me for those 20 years. It was a long time in the wilderness for me. But he was at work. And he didn't give up. And today, well, when I, I, when I, I'm bouncing around, and I know what, but when, when I sobered up, and my mind got clear. It was a miraculous chain of events that helped me to get where I'm at today, and part of it was I have to deal with the VA. And when you deal with the VA, you know that it's never an easy chore. It never happens when you want it to happen. The day I called off and called the Texas City Clinic and asked to see the psychologist to get into their Um, substance disorder program they told me well we can see you in July well this was January I'm desperate and so there were some people that were praying around that and they said well come by and drop off your paperwork so I went down there this was probably around the this was the 11th On the 11th, I went down there to drop off my paperwork just to get the ball rolling to get into the system. 
And while I was there, the nurse for the substance disorder doctor, the psychiatrist, comes walking out and goes, are you Mr. Walters? And I go, yes, sir. And he says, well, there's an opening. She'll see you right now. So, boom, I'm in. So I get into the program at the same time, exactly at the same time, when I show up here at this church, Dr. Boone is given a five-week lesson on the science of addiction. Turns out, Dr. Boone helped my son and my daughter-in-law get clean at La Hacienda, and they know each other. Come on. Are, are there, those are not just consequences. It's crazy. And so I say all that to say that you just cannot give up. Don't give up on your children, your spouse, yourself. Don't give up on the Lord most especially. Don't give up. Because he promises over and over and over that if we will humble ourselves and if we'll come to him with good faith and we'll repent and lay those sins out before him that he will forgive us. And I can tell you that the blood of Jesus covers anything that you could have done or that your friends have done or your family have done. And to appropriate that, appropriate that for yourself is just the greatest gift God gave us. He just pours his grace out on us if we're willing to accept it. I have been clean now for five months, six months, going on seven. I have been in this fellowship and I've sat under the word and I've listened to the word preached and I come here and I hear the words of our singing and the praises, and for the first time in a long time, I'm being fed. My soul is being fed, whereas it was just head knowledge. And I want to share this one passage with you. I had about four or five marked in here, but I'm already long-winded. It's in Galatians. Galatians 2.20. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. And here it is. This is what I somehow in all those years of faith didn't get. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That verse was a verse I've read a million times, but I never really got it until now. The life I live now is by faith in Christ. He literally lives through me. He lives through you and in you if you are a believer in Christ. And what more do we have to do than to allow him to have 
full reign to live through us in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our addictions, to let Jesus have his reign in my life. And I just praise his name. I thank you for your patience in listening to my story. And I hope that you can take this and that you can use this in your own family, in your own relationships with your friends. Thank you.